You're listening to ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Advances in Women's Health. Your host is Dr. Lisa Mazzullo, Assistant Professor of Obstetrics and Gynecology at Northwestern University Medical School, the Feinberg School of Medicine. 20 years ago, women with lupus were advised to not conceive. Today, women with lupus are having happy and healthy pregnancies and infants with good medical help. But there's still lots of questions about how to optimize the situation. And with us is Dr. Jane Salmon, professor of medicine at the Weill Medical College and Hospital for Special Surgery in New York City. She is also the lead investigator of the PROMISE study, which is looking at lupus and women's health to discuss these challenges with us today. So, Dr. Salmon, what do you think, how common is it that reproductive age women do suffer from lupus? Well, lupus is a disease, as you know, predominantly of women. The ratio of men to women is, of women to men is, is nine to one. And it generally presents during what we call reproductive years. It's much less common in children, though it can occur in children. And it also is less common uh, to present in women who are over 50, though again, that can occur. So from a clinical standpoint, we really worry about pregnancy in women with lupus because lupus both presents and is active during those years. What is it about lupus that raises concerns for women who are considering childbearing? As you said in your introduction, women with lupus years ago had terrible pregnancy outcomes. Their lupus flared. They might get what was thought to be preeclampsia or a lupus flare, which is somewhat difficult to distinguish between. And there was a real question of would a woman survive pregnancy, let alone what would the outcome be in the fetus. What I hope to be able to present to you today is, is evidence that that's not, in fact, the case. But certainly in the past, lupus flares, renal failure, hypertension, and serious fetal problems were thought to occur. I think we've learned a lot in the past 20 or so years, and we're going to be able to effectively counsel patients as to when it will be safe to get pregnant, and pregnancy outcomes are not so different from those of, of other women. Do you think that the best time to really prepare someone with lupus for pregnancy is beforehand, having a preconception kind of team effort? I think that's essential. That's exactly the point of what our data shows. So we are interested specifically in that question. And other people have published extensively about whether or not lupus pregnancy is a dangerous situation. And what's become clear from all of the science around the question is that if a patient is counseled to not get pregnant while their disease is active, while they're on high doses of prednisone, while they have evidence of active renal disease in particular, while their blood pressure isn't well controlled, if they're counseled to avoid pregnancy at those times, they're very likely to have a very good pregnancy outcome. What if for the patient who presents to their physician and these things don't seem to be resolving, is that someone who we should say, if we can't get you out of this flare, that you should not conceive? That's a very difficult ethical question. What, what I can say from a, a medical standpoint is that the safety, both the risk to your health and the fetus's health is much higher if your disease is active. I don't think you can say you can't. You can say my advice is that if you have active renal disease, that if your prednisone dose is higher than 20, this isn't a good time to think about getting pregnant because you're risking your own health and that of the outcome. 
From a scientific perspective, do you find it interesting that in pregnancy, things like rheumatoid arthritis, another suspected autoimmune issue, improves in pregnancy while something like lupus often is exacerbated? It's an absolutely fascinating research question, and it's something we're very actively thinking about, and I have no data to shed light on to the the difference. I can say, though, that Certainly about 30% of rheumatoid arthritis patients have at least a partial remission during their pregnancy, and we don't know how to predict who those people are. But I can also say that if patients aren't active at the time of their pregnancy, in our study, and we've followed 200 lupus patients every month of pregnancy, we've seen very, very, very few flares and no severe flares, or maybe one, one or two out of 200. So the idea that pregnancy flares lupus I think the ability to interpret that idea depends on where you are, where your baseline is at the time of your pregnancy. So I don't think it really does flare lupus if your lupus is inactive at the time. Mm -hmm. Let's get to some of the specifics about your study, because I think that'll lead to the other questions that I have. So you are the lead investigator in this PROMISE study, and tell us a little bit about what the premise of this study was. The premise of the PROMISE study was to translate work that my laboratory had done in mice, that was defining mediators and mechanisms of pregnancy complications in patients with lupus and antiphospholipid antibodies. And what we discovered in mice was that the complement cascade, which is a series of circulating proteins that can be activated through a whole range of mechanisms, but once they're activated, they recruit and stimulate inflammatory cells and cause organ damage. So this complement cascade was essential in mouse models of pregnancy complications. And if you blocked complement activation, you rescued the pregnancies. The fetuses all survived. So the question was, is the complement cascade important in patients with lupus and antiphospholipid syndrome? And if that's the case, then future therapeutics could be directed at inhibiting complement in patients at risk. So the first step was to identify a biomarker that would predict patients who were at risk for pregnancy complications, patients with lupus and antiphospholipid and or antiphospholipid antibodies. So it's a prospective, observational, multicenter, longitudinal study where we're seeing healthy people, patients with antiphospholipid antibodies without lupus, patients with lupus and antiphospholipid antibodies, and patients only with lupus, and we're going to see a total of 700 patients in nine centers in North America, see them every month, do obstetrical evaluations and a lot of blood assays, particularly focused on biomarkers that we think will predict bad outcomes. And we're also obviously storing a lot of serum and plasma and RNA and DNA in case the biomarkers that we think will be important aren't the right ones so we can go back and mine this collection for decades. So the specific hypothesis is that we'll see evidence of complement activation early in pregnancy. And that's really where we are. We enrolled nearly 500 patients of the 700 and we've started to do some analyses I think the first thing we've learned, which should be extremely optimistic for patients and their physicians, is that the lupus patients, if they're not active, like I told you, you wouldn't, you couldn't be enrolled in my study if you had active lupus at the time, in the first trimester. So everybody was screened at a 12 weeks, and if their lupus was active, they couldn't be in the study. The patients did amazingly well. 
If you've just tuned in, I'm talking to Dr. Jane Salmon about the challenges of lupus in pregnant women and the research study that she's working on to answer some of the questions of why this is a challenge. So we're just talking about the things having to do with the people who'd be included in your study. And you said the exclusion criteria were people who had active disease. Yes, active renal disease, proteinuria, hematuria, or were on prednisone more than 20 milligrams or had any evidence of flare on a lupus disease activity assessment instrument. How far in advance of the study entrance did someone have to be flare-free, if you will? At the time of screening. So at 12 weeks when they were seen by the coordinator, within 12 weeks, some were seen at 8, some 10, but by 12 weeks you were entered into, you were enrolled in the study and it didn't matter what your history was. It was that single point in time. And we have studied thus far nearly 200 lupus patients and the poor outcome rate, which is bad lupus flare, preeclampsia, severe growth restriction, or fetal death, it was barely 10% in 200 women. And in the control group, one talks about expecting 3 4%, maybe 5% of these kinds of outcomes occurring. Do you find that, you know, there has been a lot of discussion in the past about lupus and the risk of miscarriage prior to 12 weeks, and I'm wondering if you feel you're limiting or self-selecting the patients you're using with that point and not finding the patients who may have already had some of the complications that lupus would employ? That's extremely thoughtful question. The issue of miscarriage is much more common and is actually the defining feature. Recurrent early miscarriage is the defining feature of the antiphospholipid syndrome, and about 20-25% of lupus patients have antiphospholipid antibodies. So those are the people with the miscarriages. People without antiphospholipid antibodies in lupus are much less likely. They're more like a normal person in terms of the risk for the prevalence of, of recurrent miscarriage. But we wanted to capture some of those early miscarriages because we think from the animal studies that complement activation is actually quite important in that phenotype specifically. So they can't be in the study formally for study design reasons. If you enroll a patient, if you your enrollment criteria says you must be enrolled by 12 weeks and you have to meet the criteria by 12 weeks, if you enroll a patient at 8 weeks and they have a loss at 10 weeks, then by 12 weeks, they're no longer meeting your enrollment criteria, right? So we are collecting samples and data on all the people we've enrolled at 8 weeks or 9 weeks or 10 weeks who have losses at 12, so they can't formally be part of the study. We have subsetted them as a kind of separate spin-off study, and we're extremely interested in those patients. And do you have a control group in your study? We do, and it's a, it's a particularly carefully selected control group. So it's balanced for age and ethnicity to the patients. So we, you know, we enroll them later. They come from many of the same sites, so they should be similar. And importantly, they have to have had one normal pregnancy. So we know they can get pregnant and they can maintain a pregnancy. And they can't have had a late loss or more than one early loss. And, and they can't be on any medicines. So it's really one of the most healthy control groups in any pregnancy study. And in fact, it's, it's behaving the way a healthy group would. Our outcome, we've only had two patients who've had any complications out of nearly 200, which is, you know, if you look at the literature, what kinds of things happen. We picked a healthy group because we wanted to be sure to maximize the ability to see abnormalities in the patient group with the cleanest background.
It's interesting because I think patients who have normal history, that is one of the most predictive ways to think the next pregnancy will be, and for, for many things outside of lupus. So that, that makes perfect sense. Are you finding that the biomarkers that you're following are significantly different in your control group versus the group of patients with lupus that you're studying? So the complement studies, which is really the thing we were most interested in, we're trying to do them in one big group. So we have banked them. We don't have data on that yet. But we've looked at anti-angiogenic factors, and those are circulating factors in the blood that are made by inflammatory cells and by placenta that reflect abnormal placental development, placental hypoxia, and when in the maternal circulation, induce endothelial dysfunction and are probably the key mediators of the maternal syndrome of preeclampsia. And in non-autoimmune patients, elevated levels of these anti-angiogenic factors precede clinical evidence of preeclampsia by many weeks, maybe four to six weeks. And this has been extensively studied by a number of groups, particularly the group at the at the Brigham, but it's really been studied throughout the world now that it's been confirmed throughout the world. And the question we asked is, do these biomarkers perform equally well in a disease characterized by endothelial dysfunction, atherosclerosis, vasculopathy, which is what lupus patients get, and vasculitis? And in fact, they do. So we are seeing very strong signals for this biomarker that predicts preeclampsia in our lupus and antiphospholipid antibody patients who get preeclampsia. So it's not a new biomarker but its performance is is very good. When do you expect the study to be completed? Our initial funding from the NIH began in 2003, and we are now in our second cycle of funding, which began in 2008. So we're funded for another five years. I expect our enrollment to be completed probably in another two and a half, maybe three, two and a half to three years. And we're going to be doing interim analyses of, of many of these biomarkers, and we've begun actually to look at genetic polymorphisms in genes that we think play a role, that we know play a role in complement regulation. Well, we're very much looking forward to seeing the results of your research and hoping that they will continue to guide the clinical dilemma that women with lupus suffer when they're getting pregnant. Thank you to Dr. Jane Salmon, who's been our guest. We've been discussing the challenges for lupus patients who are pregnant and the physiology that is being discovered within the PROMISE study. I'm Dr. Lisa Mazzullo. For a complete program guide and podcast, visit ReachMD.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Advances in Women's Health with your host, Dr. Lisa Mazzullo. For more details on the interviews and conversations in this week's show or to download the segment, please go to reachmd.com forward slash women's health.